I was talking to another one of the girls and she said, you know, you're earning your fern because the others have to earn that same blood. Whoever wears that same blood has to earn it to represent New Zealand. And then, so she gave me her. So it's like, I'm earning my fern and, rep- and earning that right to have that jersey as well. That was the voice of Lyndon Moore, the guest on this episode of The Knowledge Mill. I'm your host, Greg Yoakum. Lyndon Moore is a PhD candidate at the Auckland University of Technology in New Zealand, whose research sits at the intersection of women's sport and marketing. She's currently working on a funded PhD research project that looks at the role of individuals in community sport as ambassadors and their role in marketing sport, basketball in particular, to participants at the grassroots level. Her research was inspired by a passion for storytelling and a motivation to help tell the stories of female athletes from around the world. Lyndon's background primarily sits in the marketing and communication fields. She has gained experience in both of these fields through internship opportunities whilst pursuing her BA in journalism and PR at the University of Oregon and master's in sports business at New York University. Her previous experience includes serving as a brands and properties intern for the Wasserman Media Group in New York City, where she helped create and execute marketing ideas as a member of the AT&T account for work with partners such as the WNBA and American Film Institute Festival. Her experience also includes marketing and communications for the Tracktown USA organization in Eugene, Oregon, and as a member of a team of marketing consultants for Devin Booker of the NBA's Phoenix Suns. Outside of research, she runs the at NZ underscore NBL underscore girl brand, which is dedicated to promoting women's basketball in New Zealand and around the world. Lyndon aims to bring a mix of knowledge about marketing, research, and storytelling, combined with a global perspective, to projects that she tackles. Lyndon and I spoke after the first full day of the 2022 Conference of the Sport Management Association of Australia and New Zealand, a.k.a. SMANS. While we first made contact on Twitter, and wouldn't you know it, we discuss academic Twitter in this episode, we only met each other for the first time in person the previous day. We share an interest in women's sport and the promotion thereof, so the conversation came easily, and I hope you enjoy it. This episode of The Knowledge Mill was recorded on December 1st, 2022, on the campus of Swinburne University of Technology during the 28th annual SMANS Conference. Show notes, including links to more information on some of the topics that Lyndon and I discuss, can be found at thenowledgemill.com episode 4. That's episode and the numeral 4. Welcome to the program, Lyndon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are here at the 2022 SMANS Conference, Sport Management Association of Australia and New Zealand, on the campus of Swinburne in Melbourne. Uh, And I want to start where we always start, which is to hear your story of how you came to find yourself doing a PhD. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of an interesting story, I say, because it's I kind of fell into it. Uh, It was actually born out of a passion. Uh, So... Basically what happens, so I grew up, I wasn't able to play sport um, because I've had heart surgeries and I, had a heart, and I have a heart condition, so I couldn't participate. So uh, the way I connected through sport was through role models. And I was just flabbergasted, I guess, that some role models in parts of the world, especially female athletes who I connected so well with, weren't covered. And so I was already doing some advocacy work in New Zealand anyway around women's basketball because... I was just, again, they didn't have enough coverage and that's a whole separate story of um, how I got into that. But I was already kind of doing some work and I run a blog and I was doing a lot of marketing promotion around that because I'm one of the very few, if not the only person who does regular promotion around women's basketball in New Zealand. 
So it was actually back in 20, yeah, so 2021 in April, uh, I was finishing my master's at New York University in sports business. And I had applied for a program at AUT, but, and it was just to kind of see like gauging the waters, what it would be like as an international student. It was not a PhD, um, but I had, uh, so I sent the application in and then I heard back saying I had progressed and then I got an email from the head of postgraduate and he said, hey, you know, I saw your portfolio and long story short, you can certainly apply for the program if you want, but you are overqualified for what you have put in for. Because <laughs> a lot of the same questions, it'll be a lot of the same courses that you took in your master's. Can I suggest a PhD? And at that point I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because, and I had thought about doing a PhD. I, it's not something that was on the horizon, I thought right away, but I knew if I was gonna do it, uh, I would do it, I wanted to do it in New Zealand because my research, I knew I wanted it to be on New Zealand and the women's basketball and women's sport. And so I had, and he's like, would you just be willing to jump on a call because he's a sport marketing guy. He's, he said, you know, I would just love to know what you're doing and learn from you and um, yeah, what your story is. So I was like, yeah, for sure, I'll take the call. I went in about 98% sure I was not gonna do it. And I was telling you what, if not, like I'll just defer and maybe we'll try it for the next year. But I was definitely open to the conversation of it. And it was nice to be, I will say, it was kind of nice to be identified. Um, and so we had the conversation, the way he told me, and now it turns out this man, Mike Naylor, is my supervisor. Mm. Um, but yeah, he basically recruited me into it. And he's like, you know, we could shape it around women's sport, women's basketball if you wanted. And yeah, I think just, I could see that he cared, the team cared at uh, Sprints and AUT, and it just felt like the right decision for me. And I do like research, because I'm, I'm a very curious person, and I always spend my free time like looking into things and just going down rabbit holes as researchers do, right? A uh, ton of our, not even the side hustles, just are in our job description. Um, so I was always doing that, and I like to write. So all of those kind of things meshed together, and it just seemed like, like you know what, I'm still, I'm in my 20s, this is the perfect time to do it. And I have the fire, I have the passion, and I was ready for that next adventure. And I was, re- and I was in tons of New Zealand anyway, so it just kind of all worked out. Um, and I honestly could not have thought of a better decision for myself than to do it. Yeah, right. So you went from ninety-eight percent, you're not doing this, to <laughs> pretty much one hundred percent, I can't do anything else. <laughs> yeah, they, honestly though, and like, I don't. I mean, that's not a story that I shared a ton, just because I was. And like the men, a mentor and a director of graduate programs at NYU, Dr. Daniel Kelly, uh, he had kind of told me a little bit about, you know, trying to get into a PhD in the U.S. And he, had, you know, and I had done a little bit of research with him. And so it was a very different conversation then. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to wait. And I talked to him. He's like, whoa, like that was not what we talked about. I was like, yeah, I know. Quick change of heart. It was a lot. But <laughs> I said, you know, it's just I felt it in my gut that this could be something big. And I actually started kind of testing the waters informally with the basketball community, with the relationships, relationships they already had, because I knew this was going to work. It, they were going to need to be part of it. And like, I would need to, I was like, I think I have a good enough reputation, even though I was still in the States at the time. And I hadn't been since the pandemic to New Zealand since the pandemic started. And I basically asked them, I said, are you guys comfortable with it? Um, because I felt kind of not, uneasy as a non-Kiwi going in, trying to do research on this community, but I just wanted to be sensitive to that. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you're all good. Uh, no one's doing it. We would love to have it. Uh, it would be really helpful. 
So it was nice to have that support as well. And I think that did weigh a factor. And I asked my parents and they're like, if you're happy, we're happy and we'll support you with whatever you want to do. So I thought really, so I was lucky in that regard. So that 98% turned into something else real quick. And I'm really, I'm really grateful it did. This is taking me some really cool places. Yeah. Well, it's all the stars aligned for you and it, uh, as well to come across, uh, when it did with the pandemic and everything, there are worse places to be than New Zealand. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was in New York and like, it was hard because like, I loved where I was in the States. So <clears throat> New York was an amazing experience and living in, of course, America, I love where I'm from, but New Zealand, I knew is where I wanted to be. And I missed it a lot during the pandemic and just because physically, I think it was just worse because I could not get here because the borders were closed. Um, and so it's, I knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel and I was lucky enough that because I was far enough along into my proposal and getting it approved that when the border, they had border cohort exceptions to come in, uh, to the country. And I actually made the final cut for the last cohort before the rest of the border. So I was able to come in. Uh, so I was able to enter in the country before other tourists so that also happened to be a lucky thing as well and that's not why i decided to do the phd uh it was just kind of a added perk <laughs> yeah yeah that's right that's right and another sign that you were doing the right thing all, yeah just 100%. all the lights were turning green <laughs> yeah and after 2020 like, and i had i will say that like, i was very lucky in the situation that i had with my family because i went home to california for the pandemic and i was in a really good situation but it was hard and trying to work you know, East Coast, West Coast hours, and then do New Zealand time on top of that to have an avenue yeah. to come back and have that light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it was really rewarding to stick it out and to have a meaningful platform like this and to do research. I think that just makes it all the better. Mm. And so can you talk a bit about uh, just what point you are up to then in your in your study and uh, kind of what's driving you? Because I, I get the sense that you're driven a bit by your passion for the sport and yeah. Yeah, so I say, uh, so I know it'll be released a little bit later, but today I actually presented my first study uh, in my PhD on ambassadorship in women and girls sport. And the passion for this project became through an individual, actually. So it was an ambassador herself who got me here. Okay. Um, yeah, her name is Panina Davidson. She actually plays here in Melbourne in the WNBL, but she went to school in Calbertley and I had followed them all my life because of my family. And uh, I happened to cross paths with her when she was in college. I went to another Pac-12 school, um, but she was just, her messaging for me was so beneficial. Like she's what I needed when I didn't know I needed her mm. over social media. And I think that her relatability and credibility was just it was amazing and i really resonated with her and so again when i say that i was fed up with with her with her and her teammates didn't get coverage i was like oh my god Uh, you know i wanted to help and so that was really cool and so to be able to look back on that now and you know when i did come down here in 2019 she gave me one of her national team singlets oh wow because i got her WNBL jersey so she gave me a uh her tall ferns singlet and to and was what I did know that that was a sign of ambassadorship because mm. she was trying to help move the sport forward. And I think she saw someone who was willing to invest in, in them and was willing to be on that journey, even though it was probably going to be, it's going to be long and not always the easiest. And so that's where a lot of my passion comes from. And actually I was talking to another one of the 
girls and she said, you know, you're earning your fern because the others have to earn that same blood. Whoever wears that same blood has to earn it to represent New Zealand. And then, so she gave me her, so it's like, I'm earning my fern and, rep- and earning that right to have that jersey as well. And so that's where that passion and fire comes from. And so to look back on that now, but essentially for my first study, what I just presented was in a, a typology of ambassadors in community sport, because that's what my project is. So I'm looking at who are the ambassadors in community sport, uh, particularly women's basketball. Uh, what are their behaviors? So what, what kind of activity are they up to in the community? How are they driving the sport forward? Why are they doing it? What are their motivations? And then how effective it is. So we're going to be measuring that. Mm-hmm. So I've... Up to this point, I have worked on a typology of uh, conceptualization of five types of community sport ambassadors, as well as a definition for a community sport ambassador, none of which has been looked at in the literature up until me. So, right. yeah, so we conceptualize that. So that's where we are right now. And then I'm currently interviewing ambassadors from the typology. So I'm picking three out of my five types. Mm-hmm. And that was really, that was actually something really cool about the typology and the definition was that this is that literally laid the foundation for what I'm when I'm the remaining five studies and what I'm doing so yeah I'm currently interviewing ambassadors and probing around what their activity is why they're doing it are they conscious um are are they conscious of being in the community and like acting the way they do because they know they're in front of young girls um yeah so it's been really fun I'm about 10 interviews deep out of 15 right. and a lot of them turned into two-hour conversations, and I would not trade that for the world. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right now. That, I think, is one of the most fun parts with the PhD, is having those conversations. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I tried to find people that I knew would be good and who could talk, because I've been able to go around a little bit, and I like to think I'm a decent interviewer, because I do have a blog on women's basketball that I write stories about certain people. And everyone that I've talked to for that has always been a really good talker. And then they can get you to people who do know, you know, who is like, oh, like, this person is a really good conversation. And especially the ones who have been around the game a long time, mm-hmm. like they, I just basically tell them, it's okay. Tell me whatever you want to say. Like go on tangents. I love tangents. Uh, the transcription will be, it'll take probably four days to do it, but that's okay. <laughs> it's worth it. I mean, it's worth it for the knowledge dump and, like if it's going to help advance the game forward, like let's, you know, tell me everything that you're willing to say. So that's, this is, I say the data collection is probably my favorite part yeah. of the whole process. No, that sounds really cool. And especially for somebody who you're a fan of the game and yeah. fan of some of these players uh, that you, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast is because this is a forum in which you can talk about some of the things that it's, someone tells you something interesting in an interview that, maybe it doesn't come out of the other side of your analysis, so it never makes it into a paper or a presentation or whatever, but it's still so cool. Oh my God, <laughs> that's great. That's the story of my life because I have so many things that uh, I have so, I have a lot of ideas for after the PhD where I want to do something that's take ambassadorship to a global level, something even further. And I just, my personal Instagram is now becoming an, Instagram about ambassadorship because the rugby world cup and the black ferns, which is New Zealand's women's rugby team. That was a breeding ground, breeding ground for ambassadorship. I mean, there was so many things going on and like, there's just so much that I want to share. Mm. And 
again, like it can't, as you know, like not everything can make it in your final thesis, which is really hard for someone. Wait, this nugget is so good. <laughs> and I had that issue with, or it's a quality problem as my parents would say, um, with my, with the typology and trying to write that chapter, I'm like, Oh, like this nugget's really good. Like for just industry justification or like why this makes sense, you know, how does this fit in? And at one point it's like prioritizing like all my quotes and going, yep, uh, I could probably live without that. And then what, okay, which ones will I absolutely cry if I don't include? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The darlings. Oh, absolutely. And there's some like, you know, you kind of get that feeling where it's like, oh yeah, that's it. You're the one. Yeah. And it's like, eh, like this was insightful, but I could probably paraphrase that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. And so, because you said before about uh, one of the things that you're interested in is, are these players aware of their ambassadorship? And that was something I wanted to ask you as soon as you started describing your study is what have you found to that end? Are there accidental ambassadors uh, or is it mostly people who are aware of the role they play, whether they intentionally lean into that or not, they know that people are looking at them. Uh, I don't want to give away too much yet. Just because I'm still, yeah, no spoilers. (laughs) Um, when the thesis is available, it'll all be in there. Mm. Um, but it's, I will say like very, very generally, some of them have said they are intentionally, they, they are very intentional about what they do. And so one, someone that I interviewed, she has a couple, she has two younger sisters and she said, I would grew up very aware and they're a basketball family, but she said, you know, I was very aware that everything that I did, my sisters would see. And therefore the community, the community would see. And so I always try and act, uh, in a way like, cause I know that people are, they see what I do and I want to leave the game and the world in a better place than when I came in. Mm. And so she's very aware. There are some where it's not necessarily that they're not aware and it's not just players, it's other admins, you know, people, coaches, mm-hmm. um, referees, all they're all kind of different role types, but some of them it's when they say they're not was, and this is something that came up in my consultations was what I did for my first study was I sat down and I talked to about 12 people and I brought them the typology, the draft typology and draft definition and said, okay, like, this is what I have. Does this make sense? Do you need anything that, do you want to add anything? Do you think that something needs to be axed? Like I want your opinion. And some that came up was the idea of passive versus active ambassadorship. And in New Zealand, it's very interesting because when I, if they're passive, it's not because they don't, I've re, I've worked out, it's not because they don't care. It's because they have uh, a lot of tall poppy syndrome there. Um, they're, they just kind of do it because they love it. They're not doing it to get the mentions in your Instagram story or the tags or the things. Like that's just not what they're in it for. They do it because they love the game. So if they're passive, it's just because, oh, it's my everyday job and I just want to be here because I love I love what I do and I love the community around me. Um, but very generally people are aware of it is maybe not be something that they wake up every day. There have been a few exceptions where it's been on the side of, Oh yeah. Like I would, and I'm very, I, I am very conscious and I know like if I, you know, step or step outside the line, then, you know, that's on me. But yeah, I would say like overall, everyone that I've talked to so far has been, aware of what they're doing yeah right that's really interesting and they wouldn't also too like they wouldn't be involved especially in new zealand a lot of them want to come home and give back and this year well in 2022 was really special because this was 
a history. It was a historic year for women's hoops because they had a their first ever semi-professional basketball league in Tohi Aotearoa. Okay. And this was a, and the whole premise around it was getting their players to come home because for like they've never been able, the players have never been able to come home from college, never been able to play professionally, in front of their own families, in front of the young girls, and the whole notion like Ted line, see it to be it. You can't do that. And so a lot of them, it was very purposeful. They came home because they wanted to coach girls. They wanted people to see and like, you can go to college in the states because. For something like netball, that's not possible. You can't go to college on a scholarship. But basketball, if you're good enough, no matter if it's D1, D2, D3, NAIA, junior college, you can get a scholarship and you can go get your education. But basketball's the way that's an avenue for you to do that. So they actively come back and they're like, hey, like, let me share my experience. So I can inspire young girls to want to and then go over and then they can come back and help better the game. So that's actually a lot of why a lot, some of them came back. That's amazing. Yeah, that's... That's I get chills every time I talk about you know, it. Yeah, it's, it's the best. And that's what's so great about New Zealand, too. It's so small. So they, and they, and a lot of them, like, they still remember their high school coaches' names. and uh, Or, like, there's, they'll be now playing with women who they grew up watching. And so then they kind of were like, okay, like, now I can be in that role. So, for example, Michaela Cox, who is one of the legends and stalwarts of New Zealand basketball, she was able to play at home for the first time in her entire 17-year pro career. And they, she had a lot of girls on her team that were playing alongside her that looked up to her. And now they're like, okay, we, we can be a version of Michaela. Mm. You see some similar things in, uh, I don't know if you pay much attention to women's cricket yeah. in, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, you see similar things where it, we're kind of in the, the first real professional generation of players. And so those early breakthrough stars, your Meg Lannings, uh, your Elise Perry's, your Alyssa Healy's, they're now on teams with players who they they were their heroes, and now they're teammates. It's just so powerful, <laughs> and I was actually in a presentation today, and I'm trying to, oh, you know, I think it was with the Australian Sport Commission this morning, um, and they had, a, she had photos of, on a slide of Sam Kerr, and how, and like these fans, like this one girl, she made a sign saying like, you know, Sam Curry, like, you are my role model, you are my hero, or, like, and then she equivocated Sam to somebody, like, that she used to look up to or something like that. Um, like, you are what so-and-so was to me. Mm. And, what, like, what you just said with the cricket, like, it just, it gives me chills to think yeah, about. it's powerful. And, like, nobody's looking at that yet. I'm just like, how can we not be looking at this? Mm. Like, it's so worth it. But it's, like, it's literally right in front of your eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, it's a powerful difference as well between women's sport and men's sport. Uh, is that there? There is that willingness that you've spoken to already to give back, and something that I've seen as well with, and this is just anecdotal as a fan, yeah. when I've gone to WBBL matches uh, versus BBL matches when I was doing my data collection, is if the the women come out and sign autographs and take photos with fans, win or lose, uh, whereas 100%. The, the men maybe one or two come out if they lost the match, and not even all of them stay if they win the match. Uh, but the women are always there. Yeah, they're always there. And something that we found too with ambassadorship in women's sport is they are accessible. Mm. And now there's a degree, a degree of accessibility, right? Like some of them, um, like there is a boundary and like they should be able to. And then some, maybe the higher up you get, if you're a tall fern or if you're playing professionally, or, then maybe, maybe they're not, it, it may be harder to contact them. 
But the thing is, they're in your community. And that's something that's always amazed me is that Australia and New Zealand, like they could be in the grocery store with you. Yeah. And uh, short of that, great point. You know, the women's, are, the women's players are always out there after matches, signing autographs, saying hi to fans. That barrier, the fan barrier between the fans and the players is not really, it, it's not there as much with women's sport as I would say with men's sport. And I would say that was a big thing for me growing up too, is mm. that the women were always more accessible. And I guess it's just easier to relate to them more that way. And it's almost easier to become a fan of the game because you can talk, it's, yeah. it's all about the people. I, I mean, the sport's obviously so. a great product and they are talented athletes and no one can take that away from them. And again, like the games are great. They do an amazing job, but they're absolutely talented, but it's just that extra mile. Yeah. After the game or the yeah. match. Yeah, absolutely. And you see boys and girls. Oh, lined absolutely. Up to, uh, and uh, yeah, because after Toei, like, they were known for every home team they would stay and sign after games. Uh, sometimes, like the, uh, so the Northern Kahu who play in Oakland, they always had tables and they would have a line that just goes forever. Uh, the mainland Polokai in Christchurch. Sometimes they would have to shovel them into the back corner, but they would still be there. And, like, I remember, like, there was this young girl. It was either a boy or a girl. Uh, but they came up to Maya Jones, who is, uh, I think she's, yeah, she's 18 now. She's going over the college in the States, but, and she was a development player. But to that, to the, these little kids, she was superwoman. Yeah. And this may have been a little boy. I feel like it was. Like, he brought his gum wrapper. And he's like, <laughs> Maya, you're the best. And she's like, you want me to sign your gum wrapper? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> And he just looked so starstruck. <laughs> and it's also, I, that's something too, the women were like, you know, if we can show little boys what like women can do and how to support them and how to treat women and respect them and give them their credit, that's also a powerful tool and a powerful yeah. lesson. Yeah. I think this didn't quite come up in a conversation that uh, listeners might know from another episode with, with Paul. Uh, but we were talking, his, his research is all about female experience with wearable tech yeah. and our conversation kind of went in, in a similar direction. And we were talking about, uh, the nature of, of being a fan of women's sport. And what I didn't get to ask him about is something that's been a desire of mine. And I would love to see, uh, more widespread adoption of it, which is males, be they men or boys wearing the jerseys of female athletes oh 100 percent. Yeah. yeah that's what you would love to see and eventually i would hope that one day we'll get there but even like i would say like new zealand is interesting because basketball is the fastest growing sport right in the country but in terms of the things like merch men or women this is not just the woman's side it's getting there it's not quite up to speed but so i'm if the f listeners may or may not know the australian National Basketball League, the AMBL. New Zealand has a team, the New Zealand Breakers. Uh, and this was back in early, like January 2020, so right before COVID. But I went in, and of course, you know, back in America, I would just rock up to a sporting goods store. And of course, you know, I can see all the NBA jerseys. And, you know, we're starting to see more WNBA in there. But then, of course, naive me, I rock up to a, you know, a Sterling Sport or whatever. And, I just look in there and there's one breakers Jersey and it's the American import. Now he's really talented. He made the NBA, um, definitely deserving a fan favorite for sure. I'm like, where are the Keeley players? 
And so I wasn't even going to bother asking a question like, what the heck is the, are the women's merch? I mean, come on, like there's a demand. And I think now in like the merch for Tohi, like they had some and they started to roll it out. I think now, and I understand what they were doing, trying to start small and not make it available. Like they, it wasn't available online. You could only get it at a game. So it was kind of limited, but you know, you would see little boys sometimes wearing like polka shirts or whatever. Um, so I think it's like, if there's, if the merch, the merch is, if the merch is there, they will come. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, I hope there's no, dis- there, you shouldn't have to distinguish between men's sport and women's sport. It's just basketball. It's just sport. They're yeah. athletes. I want to support them all. Mm. So hopefully one day we'll, uh, we'll see that and even personalized jerseys. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, that's the thing. If I can get a, a major league baseball jersey with my name on the back. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Why can't I get a, a Sydney Sixers jersey with Elise Perry's name on the back? A you know, it's... million dollar question. I mean, and it's <laughs> the thing is, like, people will buy it. Um, and that's also a space, too, where I've talked to people in the community and we've had these conversations. And I love engaging in this, in this type of thing with them because it's, you know, all right, New Balance is behind Tohi. Amazing. But how can... In the meantime, how can the demand be met? And how can maybe we can get like local, local artists involved? And there's actually a great example in all, here in Australia. So some good friends of mine, um, Paul, Mary, and Jacinta, shout out to them. They run Shooting the Breeze podcast, which is all about women's basketball. And they interview people who do fan art and they do shirts and jackets. And so they'll just custom make uh, stuff you know, if you want a shirt or something or a jacket with somebody's name on the back, they'll do it. So if you want an Elise Perry shirt for the Sydney Sitzers, I'm sure they could do it. Okay. I'm going to, we're going to put together show notes for this yes. episode <laughs> and I'm going to get that link from you. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the fan art, like it's real, like people will buy it. Um, and again, like, so it's, where is that space maybe that you can get other artists involved? So I think there's definitely some opportunities there. I'm like, it's a wide open market. Like you, you know, like we've, like we've said before, yeah. people want it. There's a yeah. demand just i get it there's scale there's feasibility there's how much can you do in one season it's inaugural season you know you want to support everything but Mm. how do you roll all that out remains to be open for discussion but yeah there are a lot of good possibilities for it Mm, absolutely and that is it to me that's creating capacity to grow into so you know if you're not making those jerseys and it's because you're there's probably business reasons for it. You would argue that there's not demand or whatever, but I didn't, I'm an economic, an economist. <laughs> I try to say economicist. <laughs> That's how tired Jerome, I am at new the, word. the end of this conference day. Uh, you know, I did economics in my undergrad and I still kind of think that way. And so I get it, but th- there's also the argument that uh, demand follows supply. Oh, yeah. If you go to, a a basketball match or a cricket match or whatever, a women's match and you're a little boy and you can buy the Jersey because it's there versus you can't buy the Jersey. And maybe that's the only match you get to all year. Uh, You know, it's the moment's gone. Yeah. It's like, where can you like back home? Like, so I grew up in the Bay area. So I would go to giants games, uh, San Francisco giants and MLB sometimes and what always stuck out to me, and now as I've gotten older and I'm thinking about these things from another perspective, um, I always now intentionally look at 
merch stands and wherever I go around the world, I'm like, all right, what's different? What could I, you know, what ideas can we take? Um, for a lack of a better word, I guess. But they, you could press your name on it after a number and you can customize it. And I think actually the Melbourne Boomers, if I recall correctly, were actually doing that a few years ago. Okay. Um, and the Boomers are actually a really good example of um, figuring out how to meet that demand. Because like you can, if like they have pre-made player jerseys, so you could, or at least they did, so you could go and get one. So there's like Kayla George, who's still there. She had one. Uh, Kalani Purcell, who is also another Kiwi. She was in Melbourne at the time. She had a jersey that was pre-made that they were selling. She actually signed the back of it, so you could buy that. Oh, very cool. Um, the boomers are, have really thought ahead on that type of thing. You know, just how, you know, can you, but if they didn't have the player you wanted available, then they could, like, stencil it on the back. I'm like, come on, like, that's how you get creative. Yeah. And, you know, so there's so many different ways, and especially for a growing, for someone like New Zealand where everybody will, yeah, most people are related to someone else in one way or another. Um, so it's like, you know, you're repping your family. You're repping your close friends. Or even if it's just someone's like, maybe I don't know them yet, but they're my favorite player. Mm. You know, like you said, if that may be the one match or game they go to all year. And if that's something they can remember it by, then yeah. that's a pretty special thing. And even if they, the player's not there, you know, they don't sign a contract with the team the next year or whatever happens you know, it's still at a piece of that sport. Yeah, that's history, right. History kind of. Yeah, it's a memento. Absolutely. Uh, it, the memory, well, I mean, it's not even a memory. It's a literal object that you have. <laughs> it stays with you much longer than the memory of the match. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really special. And I have, I started to collect a couple, and uh, I actually got all, so there are five teams in Toehi League this year representing five different regions around New Zealand. And I managed to get merch from every team. And so when the finals weekend came in Nelson on the South Island, I actually, I couldn't figure out which team to rep. So <laughs> I brought, uh, I brought all five and then Nelson is so small that literally, like, if you don't want to be seen, like you just stay home because everybody's out on the street, <laughs> but, uh, like you, but it's really cool. And I loved it. Cause like, I would see the girls walking around. And so what I would do is I would intentionally switch into each shirt or each sweatshirt. <laughs> see them coming, swap, swap the yeah. hat out. And <laughs> so it's like my Mary Poppins backpack over here. Um, yeah. And so just the little things like that. And also like the players love it. And going to an Australian context, this is actually a story I heard after uh, the, so the FIBA women's world cup, which was here in Australia in Sydney a couple of months ago. Uh, I don't know how many people knew about that, but... The marketing was not very good for it. No. I, there yeah. was a lot of... Um, and Shooting the Breeze, they, they unpacked that probably as best and as diplomat diplomatically as they could. Um, while also being very pointed, like, you know, like, y'all, this is a missed opportunity. But what they did, so Amelie Maley, who um, hopefully Australian sports fans, they should know her name. Uh, she... Was, she was on the Opals, which is, for those who don't know, the Australian women's national basketball team. And she just had a – she erupted last season with Bendigo, uh, with Bendigo Spirit in WNBL, and she became, like, everyone's favorite player. And she made the Opals. And then so there was a some, like, after the World Cup, or it was either before or during or after, whatever. Well, yeah, other one of those three. And she saw a kid wearing her jersey – walking her along the street and she stopped the kid she's like hold on 
where'd you get that? And it was just like this wholesome moment. She's like, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> and yeah, it just, That's amazing. and I mean, yeah. And she, and she tweeted about, it and she put it on Instagram and the players appreciate it. Like they're especially like, they're just doing what they love, but they, if they can share it with the fans like that, that's a priceless moment right there. Yeah. And you'll never forget Like I know I've had those moments and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing on ambassadorship because those ambassadors have changed my life. Um, sounds cliche, but that they have, and they can, they, and they can, can continue to do that. Mm. And it's just another really cool moment. You know, like when you see them walking down the street and your stuff, you're like, Whoa. Yeah. It's amazing it's just the best feeling. I like, I love repping somebody too. It's like, yeah, that's my favorite player. And it's a good conversation starter too. If you're at a game or a match and you don't know anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, a couple years ago, the final of the T20, the women's T20 world cup was here in Melbourne and they had 86,000 some come out. Wow. Uh, second at that time, second biggest crowd after the uh, final of the 99, 99 women's world cup in the U S okay. uh, the football world cup. Uh, but uh, right before we left to go to the match, we were in the, the Melbourne CBD, my wife and I walking around, and across the cafe, two of the Australian players, just on Whoa. what must have been the biggest day of their lives, still, two years later, probably the, the biggest, certainly the biggest crowd they've ever played in front of, and three, four hours before the match, and they're just sitting there having a coffee, and, and people, you could tell people knew what was the, who they were, but they were respectfully <laughs> le- leaving them <laughs> alone, like, and just letting them be in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you don't you don't get that in other places. No, and that's what was so special about New Zealand too. And I think ambassadorship it, now, not saying it can't work in other countries, because I know like in Australia, like you have that too, like you just described, and it's just amazing. But you know, in, even in the U.S., I think there are op- absolutely ambassadors there, and social media I think does give us a good glimpse into their lives. But there's nothing quite like being in the same backyard. And I remember like seeing some of these New Zealand athletes. So my desk through AUT, we are up at AUT Millennium, which is a national training center for the New Zealand Olympic team. <laughs> and I did a tour there actually when I my first man's was at AUT no way. in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our uh, space is up there, and it just continually amazes me. I mean, you'll see Olympians walking through the lobby, and everyone's just like, "Oh yeah, cool." Uh, but it, and then you know, so Dame Valerie Adams the uh, Olympic thrower, probably one of the best ever. She recently retired, but she just released a documentary. And nothing like having her herself promote it and say, hey, if you come to Monaco in South Oldland on the Saturday, I'll be there. And I'll ask questions. And then she allowed everyone to come up and meet her and talk to her. And she has personalized every experience. And I went up and actually, so full circle story is how small New Zealand is. her, oh, I apologize in advance, Gabby, if this is wrong, if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> that I want to say it was one of her sisters. Uh, they have like 13 kids in that family, but her sisters play for in basketball because then their brother, Steven Adams is actually in the NBA um, mm. with the Memphis Grizzlies. And so they're all bit boring family, but they're all interconnected. And like, but so long story short, Gabby was at the event and then her, their other sister, Lisa, who just won a medal at Tokyo, um, she in the Paralympics, she was also there. And then there's Dame Valerie Adams, who is just one of the greatest New Zealand sporting icons of all time. And we're allowed to go up and talk to her. 
in America, like this, this is, is okay. Yeah, my am, am I allowed to? And Where's security going to jump out of if I get too close? <laughs> I know it's something when someone hiding in, under the seats, um, and it just it continually amazed me. Like I'll go to events like that just to see the ambassadorship in action because I genuinely love it. I I get teary eyed every time I see it. It sounds cliche, but I do mm. uh, because it just just I love connection, and to see people connect with her and like I heard you know I saw parents stand up and say you know, thank you for, and like with their daughters right there, but they're like, you know, thank you for inspiring my daughter, but thank you for giving me tools as a parent, as somebody who want, you know, she, I have a 14 year old who wants to go the high performance route. What do I need to do as a parent? So I'm not too pushy, but how do I support her? And Val would answer that question. And then she would say, Hey, like, thank you. Um, yeah, don't push too hard. But you know, she was able to speak to that, but you can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. And you know, you're rubbing shoulders with these men and women every day and it's I don't know it's just an experience unlike any other and I think that's what continues to captivate me about New Zealand and that's why the ambassadorship and this research is perfectly suited there and of course it can be expanded and I hope it will be to other countries mm. um, because and especially in like some of the sports like cricket like at the end of the day they're normal people <laughs> yeah, you that's know right. they're and that's the thing too and I've worked out it's like LeBron James in the NBA He's a normal person, mm. you know, you know, social media hypes him up understandably and he deserves that. Um, and I, but uh, outside all of the lights, they're just like you and I, uh, with an insane talent, obviously <laughs> that I don't have, but in a lot of height, but yeah, they have stories. They're people too. And we can all connect on some level, but you could, I just in Australia and New Zealand, you can really feel that. And it's just more of a personalized experience. And you also, don't always have to end up paying a ton of money yeah. to go and see them. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes, like you said, like you just go to a cafe and rock up and be like, oh, like, there <laughs> yeah. they are. Um, well, I mean, even just to go to a, uh, well, I just went to the WBBL final yeah. uh, last week at North Sydney Oval. The most expensive ticket was $10. So, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And like with the Women's Rugby World Cup, which I'll never stop talking about because it just captivated me. Um, and I, black friends for life. Um, Sorry, Australia fans. But um, I, they were so good. Like, they would sit around after the match to meet meet the people and, you know, meet fans and everything. But the tickets, and I would look, like, the cheapest was, like, $20 for an adult. I'm like, this is world-class rugby at your feet. And you, yeah. if you play your cards right, you might be able to go and, you know, get down there and see them after. And what continually amazed me is so when the Blackburns reached the World Cup final – um, I went on, I was at the semi against France and I was like, okay, I gotta buy my ticket right now. And I was in a queue and I got really nervous and then suddenly all the 30 buck tickets were gone. And so I was like, okay, the price went up $10, but that was like one of the greatest games of rugby, like anyone will probably ever see. Mm. And yeah, like you don't have, it doesn't cost much. Yeah. And what are you going to get out of it? Honestly, I, again, I love the men's sports. I think they do a great job and they're really fun to watch. And for the most part, they're really good guys, but I don't know. There's none like, quite like a women's sporting event. Like you can watch history being made. They're phenomenal athletes, but they're phenomenal people. Yeah. And it's just a special experience. That's um, almost more intimate. Yeah. This is something I say often about, cause I go to a lot of the WBBL matches, uh, at least until the pandemic started messing with that. Uh, but it's coming back now, which is yeah, good. COVID. Um, and I prefer, I, Admittedly, I got into cricket. I'm a big baseball fan, and so I got into cricket kind of via that and via the men's game specifically. One of my friends uh, in my early days in Australia took me along to a men's ODI match at the SCG, 
Uh, and so men's cricket was my gateway, but then I started becoming aware of the different stars. And it, it is very much, as you've described it, an ambassadorship kind of thing, where for me, uh, I'm, I'm getting to the point in my life, you know, I grew up uh, a big fan of college sports, and now I have a complicated relationship with college sports for various reasons that uh, we'll need three episodes of this podcast to unpack. But uh, I... When I moved to Australia, I started losing touch with my American teams full stop. Uh, now it's really just my baseball team because I can watch that on a delay with MLB TV. Uh, Who is your baseball team? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. Yeah. I would uh, say I'm sorry, but I think they're actually doing pretty well. Yeah, so. at the moment. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not Rays. been bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go American League. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um I started losing touch with it, and so obviously that left a big hole in my heart because <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> sports fan. And I started looking around for ways to fill it, and I I found rugby league, uh, and I found I found cricket. But then I almost immediately gravitated toward women's cricket because I the, the characters quote unquote listeners can't see my air quotes, but they're there. <laughs> Uh, the characters in women's cricket were much more compelling to me because for all the reasons you're saying, they seemed like human beings and they seemed like role models. And for my money, you know, it's kind of a a complicated phrase, but for my money, they play the game the way it's meant to be played. And and that's much more interesting to me. Yeah, because especially, and I come from a primarily basketball context, I can't speak a ton about cricket, but with the men's game, for basketball at least, it can be very showy and very individual game. Uh, and so if anyone follows the NBA, you know, just there are certain players. I'm not going to name any of them, but I, I'm but sure people will know You can name them offline once we start yes. recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we'll leave it there. But, yeah, it's just a very individual game. And, yeah, it's tough, like a circus act sometimes. And it can be really fun. And like, there is an entertainment factor because that's what sport can become. And it's – not yeah, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It is an event, but yeah, with the women's part, I don't know. It's just like you said, it's very pure as the game where it's or what it was originally supposed to be. And I don't know. It's and there's a lot of the people that I've talked to, and I, it's one of those conversational stories I do like to kind of like bring up, especially for those who are passionate about women's sport. They've all said, you know, it's a very pure form of game, and that's why I watch it. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, then you get the stories and it just, I feel like I get more bang for my time, bang for my buck when I go to a woman's sports match, but maybe also because I, I can relate to them better. Um, so I get a good sporting product and I get some inspiration out of it and I get to learn a story or two. And I feel like there's a lot of content creation around it as well, which has been really, or like getting more, more and more of it. Yeah. But it's more of the stuff that also that I want to see. So it's like stories and stuff like that. Mm. And on that note, talking about just the way that things are growing, uh, and the interest is growing in everything else. Uh, and I mean this question from a positive place, so I hope it won't come off as cynical or negative. But do you think with ambassadorship and the efforts to continue to promote women's basketball, if not women's sport at large, uh, how do we avoid crossing a threshold and it becomes showy and individual and not what pe- people who are currently consuming it want anymore? Say that's a very diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying very hard to not sound cynical. No, I'd say it's that's a great question. I I don't know if we really have that answer yet. I I just I think it's always going to be different. 
there are some like there are some women like some college players in the U.S. who have like who have dunked, um, and like there's a whole show around that. And I think I don't think it's ever going to go away. I don't think there. I think there's just something special. I think it would take a lot, and I'm not entirely sure what that would be for it to cross that line. Uh, but it's kind of you know it, you don't know until you try. But I don't. I think it's just now where it's still just growing. I think anything you can get is good. Um, and I think just always the intention will be there. And uh, not the same, like the men don't have that intention to be pure and have fun, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like that sticks more with the woman. So I don't think, yeah. I think it would take a lot for that to happen. Um, but that's also, a, that's a great question. I'd be curious to have a yarn about with somebody else really passionate in the space. Yeah. For sure. It's, uh, it's maybe a system thing. Hey, yeah. that, uh, there's an apparatus around men's sport and there's an apparatus around women's sport, but they, those, I don't, I don't know what the plural of apparatus is, but <laughs> apparatuses. This is what we do uh, at conferences. We make up our own words. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, it, it, it uh, maybe, maybe there's something to the work that you're doing, yeah. understanding, uh, ambassadors are they doing this intentionally are they at least aware that they have some power whether or not they choose to engage with that you know like charles barkley famously said he's not a role model it's like well you don't get to choose buddy <laughs> well and that's something that somebody else said too is um you know whether they're like whether they like it or not when you're in this position you know people are watching you and I'd like to think in New Zealand now, of course, there are probably one or two outliers. And I'm sure that this is the case in Australia. Um, but for the most part, like those, the people who are in the community and doing, facing things, because what I'm, what I'm looking at is sport develop, like community and sport development and how ambassadors are influencing in that respect. And I think the ones who are in the community are the ones who really like they want to be there. Like they're not just there because they have to be, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you like you just lost by, you know, 20, like that can hurt. But for the most part, I feel like the women know, like, this is just, this is part of it. Not saying the men don't, but, um, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's a huge factor. And especially when, plus what we see too is like in a way, ambassador the community sport ambassadors they interact with people directly. So it's kind of like um, interacting with the consumer in yeah. the marketplace in the traditional sense is what how I've been describing it. Mm. And because they do that, um, I don't know. I just feel like the intentions are like, it, it it's there, and they know like all right, like I know I'm playing in front of you know this many girls. Or, you know, they'll have high school teams come out, so they'll know that. Yeah. Um, so I think on the community side, it's a little bit more like that. And because New Zealand's so small, like everything literally, it just, it overlaps. So it, it's inevitable. So um, that's my very long-winded, and I hope I answered that question. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think, the, the power of what you're doing is because if it were, you know, and that's where I didn't want to be cynical, but if it were to ever start heading in that direction, if it became more yeah. commercial and more money is pumped into it and the salaries get bigger and the egos get bigger, yeah. if, if your work can inform, if, if all of that is coming from a good foundation, yeah. you know, the, the, the house is built on a strong foundation, then you'd like to think, well, then the house is going to, yeah, and I think, and I've been trying to work out, there's a lot, I mean, there are a ton of differences between Australia, New Zealand, and America, and the way, and, and even Europe, and the systems, and the way they do things, because I'll say, like, 
when I first started, um, when I first started all of that with my advocacy, really, um, it came from, it came from inspiration from the WNBA. So there's a woman named Arielle Chambers who she's, uh, she has a, she coined a saying the WNBA is so important and she's really become like the voice of prominent advocate and voice for the WNBA. And that's kind of what I want to do, but in New Zealand. So I came in wanting to, with the intention to do that, but then I also thought, Oh, like maybe an agent would be really good uh, to try and get girls overseas or whatever. Cause that's the only thing I knew. I, that's what I saw, but I was like, maybe that's not what this community needs. And so as my time in has been in and out of New Zealand, but just entrenched in having in the trenches understanding what they're about what their system is and I and I promised them when I came in I was like listen I'm not going to try and take the American way and I'm not just going to say oh that works here so I'm going to inevitably inevitably bring that to you guys it doesn't work in Australia the model doesn't work now you can take pieces of it and that's something that I'm really curious about is how can I help bring ideas or pieces of it and I've been able to bring some ideas Time was like in almost like an informal consulting kind of thing, or just like in a knowledge exchange and dialogue with people and be like, oh, like, what if you did this? What if you did that? And we've been able to have those conversations. So, like, some of those ideas over there, like, it can work. It just, um, and somebody who, uh, Jody Cameron, who is one of the greats in New Zealand, uh, she said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna grow it, but we're gonna do it our way. It's gonna come out the, the way the Kiwis want it. And that's something that has been, I've always told them, like, it's going to be evident like that's what's going to have to happen. So I don't know if New Zealand necessarily, like, it'll always, it'll get to that point, I think, because it, there's always going to be like that. It's never going to be about the money for them. Um, the fact right. that they're even paid right now is huge. Mm. So um, it'll be interesting. Well, I think it'll kind of unfold as it goes. It'll be, you know, for someone like Australia, um, you know, I think you just kind of have to let it happen organically. But I think the ambassadors will have a lot. I think at the end of the day, as long as the ambassadors are authentic and true to who they are and they are authentic with the community and they're genuine. And I think it's also not putting up that wall. I think like once you start limiting access with fans, that's when you get in trouble. Yeah. Um, and so I think as long as that, not saying like they have to be open all the time, but as long as that stays and there's a degree to which is reasonable that people are comfortable with that they can reach, you know, players and fans can interact and families can interact. I think they're okay. Um, Cause it's all about the person in the end. Mm. And then, you know, you can put, you can take, you know, you can put as much money into it as you want. And obviously money helps, but it's all about the people. And as long as the people say the same, I think um, that's where the values and the culture truly lies. And I think that's where the, the sweet spot is, so to speak. So I think, as long as they're solid, the game will be solid, and then everything else will just be an extra. So, like, let's say, like, all the, the cool kind of flashy plays happen. Great. But at the end of the day, they're still, you know, they're just a normal human being. And that's going to be a key, I think. Mm. And so, for your PhD and also for this broad topic, it's watch this space. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> definitely a watch this space. And it's the cool thing is, and I said this in my presentation is ambassadorship is everywhere in the sector. It's being, and people are using relatable, credible, and just genuine human beings to push things forward. And I gave the examples of, you know, like brand ambassadors are very prevalent uh, in the literature. You know, that's probably the most researched form of ambassadorship is brand ambassadorship. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure like, 
Those would be primarily paid positions, yes? Yeah, so, well, yeah, so essentially what brand ambassadors are is that they are, they, they represent an organization um, or a product or a service, and they're dedicated to that one thing. They're often paid, uh, but they attempt to spread goodwill. Uh, but a lot of times, yeah, they are paid. Um, I don't know the nuances of everything, so I don't know if it's, you know, if it's monetary, do they just get, you know, product to promote? But that's the most kind of recent kind. And so, like, we see athletes do that all the time. But the thing with ambassadorship and endorsement is what I like to say is that amba- uh, ambassadorship is not transactional because traditional endorsement is very, like, commercial and transactional. Ambassadorship, uh, we say, is relational and very holistic. Mm. Um, so there's... Yeah, but it's happening all around us, and it's happening in rugby, it happens in cricket, and that's actually going to be one of my studies is examining folk and interviewing folks who are familiar with ambassadorial activity in rugby, cricket, and football okay. to understand what's going on over there because that can, my guess, is going to look a lot different mm. than what basketball is. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. It's, uh, it's unfolding in front of our eyes, but that's what excites me. Um, so yeah. definitely watch this space. <laughs> And so I did want to talk to you about the conference yeah. uh, that we have just finished the first day of. And so you've, you've mentioned your presentation. Did, did you get any good questions or feedback and kind of how is your SMANS going in general? It's been, it's going really well. Um, I was, I've always been told that it's a very welcoming, SMANS is a very welcoming community. And that is so true. Um, I, so Javed, who is not here right now, but he has been to many SMANS in the past um he's always told me hey like they're really you know if you need me to like connect you with anybody we can't but like they're gonna be really good so i just i feel very confident here that i can just like walk up to people and be like hi like i just <laughs> walked up to somebody who was sitting at a table at lunch and be like hey can i talk to you mm. and you know and you never know like what they may end up doing but yeah they've all been really good i'm learning a lot like some like some student like there are some students who are kind of like me they're like they're a little um, not quite to where I am right now or like somewhere like nearing their finish like someone in our design thinking session with you yesterday like he's about to turn in his PhD so right. everybody's time from different walks and um, other than other academics so that was that's been a really good experience for me uh, I think someone yeah like I got some like good feedback from my session today thankfully it was people said it was very clear and coherent and they understood where I was going so I was like Always honestly good. Hashtag winning. That's if that's all I wanted from the presentation, um, and in 20 minutes. So that it was my first time sharing the typology and the definition. So that was. Um, I mean, I know I I eat, live, and breathe this stuff. I could do it in my sleep. Well, I'd like to think I could do it in my sleep. So I was pretty comfortable. But um, yeah, it was really good. And I think just look. Someone brought up looking at like ambassadorship in terms of like the political context, and if we looked at that in terms of the community sport um so that's another space to be explored yeah so that yeah that's some it's a bottomless can of worms i reckon <laughs> to uh it is and well and I, that's the blessing that occurs right with the phd is that there's always usually there's always something else that you could do and it inevitably leads you down something else and like when you go on doodle scholar and you'd let all right, whose side is this article that I'm looking into this certain concept? <laughs> and you're like, oh, and then two hours later. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's been really good. I will say I'm kind of relieved to like have that first one under my belt, but mm. it's, I'm kind of sad that we only have two days of it, but I'm very thankful to Sarah and Adam and everybody who's been, and Kevin who's been putting this on 
um, it's just amazing like that we can all be here in person to do it. Because yeah. I went to the one online last year, like I just kind of popped in and out. Um, and I actually did now that I think about it, I went to the mid HDR last year. Um, and I actually presented, I, I enrolled three weeks prior to that. And my supervisor, Mike was like, you know, why don't we just like throw your name in the hat? And then you could just talk about it. And we had no idea it was even going to be ambassadorship. Like it was just, Mm. all right, women's basketball in New Zealand. That was literally the title of my presentation. (laughs) And I was like, all right, this is going to be my PhD. And this is what I'm talking about. And you know, they were all welcoming then and they're super welcoming now. And yeah, it's also like my first, my first academic conference. So it's been really cool to. I don't know. It's just very heartwarming. I love Melbourne. I, lo- I just love everything about this. This vibe is great. I can't wait for next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. I mean, this is for my money. Smith just keeps getting better and better. As oh, I said, yeah. my first one was 2016 in Auckland. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, I'd like to see it go back to New Zealand. I would have this year I think in the rotation. In a it was couple meant years. to be. Yeah. I think I know it's, I know Canberra next year, I think. And then Geelong. Yeah, so I think it's. I think in the future it definitely will go back. It would be amazing to have yeah. uh, have New Zealand host another one. Um, that's for sure because we have a lot of good people. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Uh, are you familiar with Ansel's Leisure Studies? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be at AUT. Next oh, year. cool. Yeah. So yeah. I'm thinking about getting over for that one. Oh, you should. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. I'll say this: like Auckland's a great place to have a conference i was actually at the international working group for women and girls and maybe you may have heard some of us be referencing that over the past day or so um that was in Auckland. Right. that was at over 1200 people oh wow um yeah and that was four straight days of just go 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 so of course that's what this was that was like two or two and a half three weeks ago and so of course i am still tired from that and I, <laughs> now i think every conference is going to be like that then i look at the schedule and it's like oh that's easy as like that's not gonna be a problem <laughs> Um, and so I'm like, but wait, where's the rest of it? Yeah. The flip side is it goes by so quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. So again, that conference stamina back, I think has been, although here it's been really easy. Maybe it's just a layout. I don't know. Maybe it's only a hundred was like only like 120 people here. So mm-hmm. it's not, which is pretty big for spans actually. 120 wow. people. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, Oh, like, where's everybody else? <laughs> um, but not everybody's been amazing, super nice. And it's been nice to connect with people like yourself and some other people that I saw online at NASM for a session I went to last year, um, you know, we follow each other on social Sarah, who's actually a Kiwi. She had been kind of like commenting on some of my stuff on Twitter during the black friends win. And, and she's like, Oh my God, you know, like this is a moment in history, like enjoy it. So I actually got her a pin from the rugby world cup to bring to her. I was uh, like, I saw that that actually, she could have yeah, that. Her photo. Um, and so just to connect with everybody in person and like, again, like they've actually been, I, I look up to some of these people because they, um, I quite frankly, sometimes, and I don't know if I'm shooting myself in the foot, I don't always know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, as, cause I don't quite identify, I think is completely an academic yet, but I'm also very heavily involved in the sector and the industry because mm-hmm. I'm literally part of that every day. So to have, to see academics in action and pick their brains and Mike and Mel have been doing it. My supervisors have been doing an amazing job about getting me in the classroom and seeing what the possibilities can be to get me more on the side of should I choose to end up wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think to see the possibilities in front of me here at Smans and like what your network can do and just even the friends you can make. But I made a friend mm-hmm. with a, who's another PhD student from Latrobe. We had connected because there was somebody else that his supervisor I had met because I was doing something else and I was connected to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Oh, Hey, you should talk to my PhD student. And like 
It's the family trees of PhDs. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, well, honestly, though, but he's doing his, well, sorry, because his, his PhD is on athlete activism. Right. And so it's like, oh, like you're doing yours on ambassadorship. And then so then we had a chat and then we were finally able to meet up here. And I don't know, there was just something so satisfying about it. And I've learned, like, there's so many notes I have from all the sessions and even talking about like industry, you know, impact and your value, like the academic values and what we have, because it can be a very lonely and isolating journey. Mm. But then also when you, if, when you work in a university, university has other values and then how do you marry those together? And like, what's your common goal and where you're trying to get to? And I know Leslie spoke about it today. Um, I'm not just quoting her because I know her, but um, <laughs> it was a good point. So there is a lot of other things I didn't think about uh, because I'm, I mean, I'm year two, but I'm only six, not, not even quite six months in New Zealand yet. So like seeing, like actually being in that culture. So being in Smans, I think it's just been another good, like boot, academic boot camp for me. Mm. Um, so man, I, I'm living in the moment right now, yeah. but and I, I can tell you're loving it as well. Oh, you're feeding off the energy. And oh, it's total Smans energy, man. Like that's, there's nothing like it. And <laughs> Um, I honestly, I wasn't entirely, I knew it was going to be great. Like I came in with that. I had been, I heard nothing but great things. And I also, I love how, um, you know, Sarah put it out on Twitter and like Emma, Sherry said it this morning, like, Hey, like if you ever want to meet somebody, like just let one of us know and like we can help set you up. And it's just, they're so welcoming and in a space where it can be kind of brutal, I think sometimes in terms of being in academia and some fields worse than others yeah yeah it can be hard and so to have a community where it's like oh i can like if i just want somebody to talk to i can go up to them and um i don't know it just it feels it, i always feel like less awkward like just going up to people here and chatting about their research and i was like oh like that sparked something else and um you know i was like oh another idea <laughs> and goody yeah so it's yeah it's a wonderland and if you love research then and you never know where it can lead down the road so yeah, yeah overall right another very long-winded answer but i love it <laughs> <laughs> well that leads me into my next question which is is there anything else exciting on the horizon for you any other conferences you're looking at or any publications you're working on um i'm currently so the goal is to publish my study one and my study two which is the interviews with ambassadors uh we've started discussing packaging those two together for publication uh I would rather go personally for a high level journal and package those two things together because one feeds off the other. Um, and then send it out to a higher level journal than just submitting study one to, to whatever. So that's going to be later down the line. Um, early next year, hopefully maybe January, like January we can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been helping out with a few things here and there. Um, I'm not entirely sure I'm able to name them yet, so I'm just going to leave, <laughs> leave it in suspense. Sure. Um, Working but, on some TBD. Yeah, but yeah. I will uh, share once, <laughs> you know, should any of that yeah. come to suffice. But Well, we'll always put that, uh, we can add anything to the show notes pages as it comes out yeah. as well. So. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, so working on some of that stuff. And then, yeah, I'm just kind of dipping my toe in the water a lot right now. Again, like what Mike and Mel have been so good at for me is getting me all these opportunities. And so, um, Mike's great. Mike is the best. Um, I, I hope he listens to this. Hey Mike. Hi Mike. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Naylor. He's the best. <laughs> he, he, he and Mel are honestly the best team that I've could have asked for walking into this. Um, so random shout out to them, but they deserve it. Um, 
so I was a teaching assistant this past semester. So I dot my toe in the teaching water a little bit. I got to guest lecture in some of my sport marketing classes. So that was really cool. Um, so I'm kind of getting a feel for everything. I'm kind of, I'm interested in a research assistant to see what that entails. Mm. Um, so there, yeah, I'm, my thing is that I am, and just asking me that knows me, including Mike Kimmel, they'll tell you this. I'm interested in a lot of different things. So I'm, I'm excited to get on another paper one day. Um, I actually, oh, so I did help um, with the National Sports Club Survey, which is AUT Sprints is a research partner with the New Zealand Amateur Sport Association. And they look at all like these sport clubs in New Zealand and we do a survey and we gather insights and we present them. Um, so as a research, and I was a member of that research team this year, so that was really fun. And so there may be some other stuff on the, and we just finished up doing some work, five or six workshops around the, New Zealand. So I think there may be some other stuff that comes from that. And then conference-wise, uh, Saman's 100% next year. NASM, if I can somehow make it work to get over to Montreal, would love to do that. Um, I would love to do the European one and um, but I'm trying, I, I'm still young, still, I'm only 26. So I'd like to <laughs> save, save something and save the bank. So many but. exciting destinations though, with Montreal for NASM and Belfast for Ezum. Yeah. And so yeah. that's kind of what I'm, so I'm possibly NASM. I won't be presenting, but, um, even so just, uh, being in that room would be really cool. And I think because I'll be not quite year three yet, that'll be, it would be a good kind of net step up. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, and then Smans obviously. So that's kind of what I'm looking at, but I'm always on the hunt for more stuff. And honestly, I didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't done anything like this before. And so now I'm, just, I have a train, I'm learning to have a trained eye on like what to look for. Mm. So, um, that's why I follow all the, all my academic friends on Twitter so I can get yeah. suggestions a- and ac- read your work. And academic Twitter, that's Twitter better stick around. Because God, I hope so. I've gotten so much value from it. Honestly, though, it's like in a Twitter where it can be a complete vortex at times. Mm-hmm. Academic Twitter actually can be really useful. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough now that you mention it. Just another, uh, just the other day, right before I came here, actually, I was speaking to a uh, colleague about Twitter and academic Twitter specifically. And I said, I would be really sad to see it go. And I, we were in my office and I walked around to my bookshelf and I just went, this, 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 and I pointed out 15 books on my bookshelf wow. that, that came straight from recommendations on Twitter that changed me fundamentally in some way that were never, I probably never would have found them if I hadn't seen them on Twitter. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you can get book recommendations like Kim Ensel. He was, he's been great. Like I saw, I saw him through Smans last year at the H- mid-year HDR conference. He's the king of he is sport king. management Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, if he had, yeah, if there was an award, they should really have a Kim Ensel sports award Twitter uh, for him. He's yeah. But I got a lot of great tips from him and actually like even simple as he would post, I think it was Kim where he was posting all like marking and like how to like give helpful feedback on students papers. And mm. so of course one year later, which is now I'm in the shoes of having to mark and I'm like, Oh, Holy crap. Like, so when, and then, of course, now I'm trying to pump them out, but, um, and the woman who was in charge of it, she like, could you just like possibly give them, even if it was horrible, could you just try and like give them something? And like, well, I didn't have any that were too many that were like that. But I was like, yeah, but I, I can do that. And I'm like, oh God, all right. Um, how do I frame this? And so I just went directly to Twitter and went to Kim because I bookmarked Kim's posts. And so like, that was really helpful. So I can, you can find marketing tips. You can find book tips. I mean, you can... Of course, it's a great place to put your thesis or 
you know, publications when you get them. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've made, you know, I've met a lot of other PhD candidates and students and yeah, the PhD community is great on Twitter. So I certainly hope Twitter sticks around because, um, for, yeah, academic, it's great. Mm. Even for sport, it's still good. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, like, I have a weird relationship with it because I'm, I have a very, I'm sure as you probably may have gathered by now, I have a lot of basketball on my account because like, that's primarily why people come to me. So then I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I'm this PhD ambassadorship guru. Um, but I need my information. So just, mm. um, keep scrolling if you know, it doesn't apply, <laughs> but it's, uh, no, it, it is really good. And I hope it sticks around. Hmm. The last question that I want to ask you is the last question I ask everybody, which is, and you did say before that you get excited about a lot of things. So I'm anxious for this answer. Something not PhD related in your life that you are excited about at the moment. Ooh, man. <laughs> um, I am a woman of many pillars, I should say. Um, I've gotten, I'm really into just honestly like the well being space and health and wellness and just trying to figure, I, figure out new ways for me to succeed and really take care of myself because I know this is an arduous process. So I really decided just to keep exploring that. Um, my favorite podcast is the high performance podcast, um, Mm. from the UK. And so I love listening to that and just trying to implement those little things. So it sounds kind of nerdy, but I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to traveling more, uh, because traveling is one of my absolute favorite things is one of my joys. So looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to going home and seeing my family. Um, and my best friend and her wedding. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. And honestly, man, I'm just excited, like, looking forward to meeting new people and, like, just kind of seeing what, where my travels and where sport takes me. Um, I love to read and I love, like, you know, listen to podcasts and just, I love seeing where my curiosities and passions, how they mesh together. So it's maybe not one concrete thing, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I always say this somewhat jokingly, but mostly not because it's actually true especially in New Zealand, you know, you can show up to one thing and your life can change because you meet somebody or, um, you know, you can learn something new and be like, oh, you know, and that sparks a different idea because I have some other ideas post-PhD that involve entrepreneurship and ambassadorship and I'm still working out what that is, but I have that brain and so now whenever I attack things, I attack things from a research point of view, but then also what could this be down the line? So I'm really excited about that Mm. and, um, yeah, I love meeting new people. So I think just continuing to explore New Zealand and get to know that more and just honestly living in the moment is probably the non-PhD thing that I'm really looking forward to and just being open to anything and watching everything kind of come together because honestly, it's pretty magical because I don't get to do that very often. It's just sit back and be like, whoa, you know, like... The PhD is a magic time that way. It is. And I think just being, it allows me to be in the community. And um, I, I don't want to say I take that for granted, but I know I'm in, I'm very fortunate and I'm actually in a different position than a lot of my peers. Um, and then again, like I chose a different path, but, uh, and I haven't actually even really on the process, like the last five and a half months, like I've traveled a ton. I've gone to do a lot of stuff. And I haven't really been able to process it yet. So I think just being able to sit back and be like, whoa, like what just happened? Mm. And then just letting things unfold around me. And um, yeah, it really is just kind of the magic of what you build and what is to come. So I think honestly, like it sounds kind of weird, but like that's probably what I'm most looking forward to. It doesn't sound weird at all. 
I'm excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I love overlapping with people and just seeing like what we can do because there's just so much like life is too short not to. Yep. I mean, obviously I'm very, I will say this, I'm a very like work driven person. Like I just like, go, 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 go. But, mm-hmm. um, I think also like I, I, I am an introvert, but I do love working and meeting new people and like being with people. And I, it does bring me joy. And so there's kind of, there's that element of it too. And just, you know, just showing up and you never know what's going to happen. So, um, there's some structure around it, but just, you know, taking the opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. It's just opportunities excite me. Let I jump at anything I can get. And if it sounds interesting, I say yes, because I mean, there are some opportunities that have come up to me in the past and I didn't do it. And I thought, Oh, I wonder whether that could have gotten me, Mm. but yeah, it's just there. So, and especially now, like with the P, the PhD offers you a lot of opportunities, uh, but they can also offer stuff outside and outside of that. But yeah, just kind of figuring then how do I take care of myself in the process and mm-hmm. then ultimately make me not, not, not make me a robot, but how can I be the most efficient and the most high performing in the way that I can so I can keep doing what I love. So yep. experimenting with that. Yeah, nice one. Well, I don't know if you realize it, but you just inadvertently paid me a compliment. And so I feel like that'll be a good place to tie, <laughs> tie the bow on this episode because you said you only say yes if something's interesting. So uh, you said yes to the podcast. Well, say and no, so. and I, this has been really <laughs> cool, though. And like, I love and when people are like just storytelling and connecting and mm-hmm. sharing stories. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, well, it's really cool to see someone do this, especially at a place like Smans where um, everyone, usually if you're doing a PhD, you do it for a reason, um, yeah. because it's, there's a lot of passion in this community. Yeah, there is. And because people say, you know, it's, if you don't love what you're doing, it's going to be a long ride. And I am now understanding why. So, uh, <laughs> we all have a why behind our, you know, why we're here. So it's mm-hmm. really cool for you to start this podcast so we can hopefully encourage others to find their why and join us. Yes. More the merrier. Right. Tempt them in. thank you very much for sharing your story and for taking the time yeah no thank you it was great had a lot of fun